the, if I use this term right here, I want you to raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about, okay? Ready? Are you, I mean, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, I didn't know. You didn't say anything. You're COVID. Anybody know who that is? It's a woman in the Bible. Yes, I got it. I nailed it. Uh, Moses' mother. Anybody know her? All right, let's get to know her. Let's turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. First of all, I want to read this to you. I want you to listen to something about destiny, okay? A certain courthouse in Ohio stands in a very unique location. Raindrops that fall on the north side of the building go into Lake Ontario and the Gulf of St. Lawrence, while those falling on the south side go into the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico. At precisely the point of the peak of the roof, just a gentle puff of wind can determine the destiny of many raindrops. It will make a difference of more than 2,000 miles as their final destination. The spiritual application is clear. By the smallest deed or choice or of words, we might set into motion influences that could change the course of others' lives here and now and could also affect their in eternal destiny. Uh, destiny and choices and trusting God and making decisions and raising children as a mother is certainly no exception. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 59, you see this woman mentioned by name. She is the wife of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, or Yochobed in Hebrew, a descendant of Levi, who was born to the Levites in Egypt. To Amram, she bore, this is her three children, Aaron, the high priest, Moses, the deliverer, and their sister Miriam. She had a destiny as a mother, a destiny that would change the course of civilization. Two of her sons and her daughter, the prophetess, almost make up the fivefold ministry, this one woman, her family. And we find what she was most known for in Exodus chapter two, verse one through 10. It goes like this. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Her, his sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. He is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? All right, let's break it down. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. The Pharaoh had already instituted an edict that all male Israelite babies would be executed. The midwives were given an edict 
to exterminate, like infanticide, all male Hebrew babies. That's it. The, the Pharaoh, as, as big as he looks, as authoritative as he looks, is really afraid and insecure. That's true today. Any authoritative, dictator, uh, despot-type ruler who comes across overbearing, violent, obnoxious, is really nothing more than a small, insecure, very afraid person. And the Pharaoh was certainly that. The Pharaoh had asked that all of these boys be exterminated, and this placed an undue amount of stress upon this family. Think about it. For the first three months of Moses' life, he could be heard crying but never be mistaken as a boy. He could, he could not go in public and be seen as a male. His mother, his family, Miriam, his older sister, were in constant awareness of the possibility of his death should word get out. Should the midwife be interrogated, should be um, questioned who didn't kill him, she would have been in trouble, and so too would have the family. They all would have been killed. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The first thing that we need to learn as far as parents go, mothers go, God goes, is that children first belong to the Lord. Regardless of whether the parents believe in the Lord, the children, the child belongs to the Lord. And all are extraordinary. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds of the bank of the Nile, and his sister Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen. Can you imagine at three months, first of all, making a basket to float? I mean, those kids at three months, pretty wiggly. Don't you think they're pretty wiggly? I mean, the balance, I can't stand up in a canoe. Can anyone here stand up in a canoe? <laughs> Let alone go down the Nile with no one holding it, just a little baby. I mean, that's a pretty serious little basket. Well, it's also called an ark. It's made out of papyrus reeds. Those reeds were used, if they were straight, you could put holes in them and you could make flutes out of them and kids would play with them. If they weren't straight, then they were bruised and you're supposed to throw them away. Isaiah 42 and three says, God says, a bruised reed he will not discard. Do we have any bruised reeds here today? <laughs> Amen. You're looking at one, highly bruised reed. So she, she, first of all, has to make this thing. She has to feel good about it. There's something about water and babies that just don't mix. I remember we were going to a soccer, a child uh, soccer league uh, awards uh, party. It was at a swimming pool, and we had just arrived, and it was time to take our soccer clothes off, the kids, and it was time to put, like, our play clothes on and then go to this awards banquet. Jump in the pool, put your bathing suit on, get the whole thing going. So my son's standing there, and I'm having this conversation, like, all right, now listen, we all got to change clothes. It's going to take a few minutes. We can't get in the pool. So you just have to be patient. So let's, let's figure this out together. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here with me. I don't know. It must have been a 
a nanosecond. I look down and he's gone. In the lower end of the pool, the shallow end of the pool, are probably half the soccer league. Flailing arms, screaming, people doing, playing, giggling, doing what they're doing. And I look around and I see this body on the bottom of the pool. Well, Daddy didn't have time to change his clothes. Man, I don't know what those third grade kids thought when they saw a six foot six, 200 and whatever pound guy coming down on them, but like, they parted like the Red Sea. I snatched our son up and I pulled him out of the water and he was still breathing. I was like, hallelujah. But water and children don't go together. And I, I, I know this woman held this child to her breast, I mean, for three months, just every night not knowing if it was going to be another night. Now she's got to let him go. Now she's got to put him in the water. Now granted, she's sending her daughter downstream, fine, but she don't know what's going to happen and she don't know if this kid is going to flip. The old kayak, so to speak. But he makes it. And there it is. You and I are born as children of destiny. And God gives us an ark. It's a good ark. It's an ark strong and as powerful as, and even better than Noah's. And it's better than this little basket. It's Jesus Christ. He's our ark. He's going to save us. Everybody's out to get us, wants to kill us. We have an enemy who wants us dead. And he has an ark. And we get in that ark and we make it downriver. And that ark is Jesus Christ. Moses' name means drawn out of water. But isn't that it? Right, really. Isn't, isn't it a necessity? Think about this now. Isn't it a necessity that if you truly love someone, you'll let it go? You'll let them go. In fact, isn't motherhood basically learning how to let go from the beginning? Your middle school graduation, your high school graduation, your first part-time job, first time you put makeup on, it's, a, it's another one after another. Then marriage. And then they move out. And then you have to learn how to let go the second time they move out. Third time they move out. Finally, they're out. <laughs> Finally, you, you're, so, you're so caught up with what it means to let go. You've so much practice. You're ready to let go. Okay, so off they go. Well, she has to do that. That's what, the, that's what Moses' mother has to do. I've done that. You've probably done it in your own way. We handled our little boy off in literally minutes, hours, maybe a half hour from death to a surgeon. Do your thing. I mean, we, we let, you have to let go. Some parents never let go. Now, that's a problem. They hover like helicopters for decades. Careful, you might get shot down. But we have to let them go. We have to let them grow. We have to let them off on their own. And she knows that, but at only three months. By the way, what is it that you love that maybe you need to let go of that causes you to have to trust in the Lord more than your ability to hang on and hold close? It's a fair question. What have you loved in the past 
that is long since gone that you still hold on to in the present that still comes between you and trusting God? What is it? Usually it's a thing or a dream or a person or relationship, a scenario, a circumstance, whatever the case may be. You and I, I'm sorry, are called not to love anything, anyone, any circumstance, at any time, anywhere in our life, even our three-month-old child, more than we are called to love Christ. If your relationship with him is compromised in any way, ask yourself this question, what is it that you love perhaps equal to, if not more than him? And learn from this mother that we have to let go because those children are a reward from the Lord that we are to steward their growth and their maturity and their development, but they are not the Lord himself. I had to make a decision at 4.30 in the morning one time with a wife in surgery, a, a eldest daughter uh, in, in the hospital as, as to whether or not I was gonna make phone calls to get our friends, my wife had come out of surgery, we're gonna make phone calls to get our friends at the hospital in three hours to dono donate part of their liver to our son. And I said this prayer, you've heard me talk about this before, and I said it, he's yours before he's mine, so I give him to you. And I didn't mean, any, I didn't mean it to save my life. I knew exactly what to say, that's nothing. That's the easy part. You know what to pray, there are prayers that you prayed that are dead smack on. But are they from the heart? Are they words? Are they authentic? So I prayed it again. I said, I release him to you. Three years old? Not three months old. Three, I release him to you. He's yours before he's mine, and you're God. Whatever you do with them, you do with them. But I'll love you and worship you and serve you the rest of my life. And that I meant. I learned, that, I learned more in that five minutes of my life than I learned in decades of people trying to tell me something. That five minutes was the most potent five minutes of my life. There is this time to give something up. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. That's Miriam, Moses' sister. She opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby? In other words, never mind that this is my little brother, but do you mind if I take this little brother to his mother so she can nurse him? <laughs> The Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, sure. And not only that, I'll pay her. I'll pay her to nurse. Time out. You see, the thing we have about this whole idea of giving, giving, giving of ourselves, granted, a three-year-old's a little drastic, but give, give well, use, use money if you want to talk about something. Give, here, I give you this like you said to give me, and you give it back to me. And you give it back to me with interest. Like, I give, and then you take it, and then you outgive me. So I give back, and then you outgive me. All right, would you mind taking her, this child to a woman, and I'll pay her to nurse? How much time elapses from the, from the three-month-old, Moses in, in, in the ark, 
to the time that she's done nursing, I don't know. I'm sure they really stretched it out, huh? And when they really stretched that period out, what was Moses' mother doing to Moses as much as she possibly could, knowing that she had to give him up again? If you knew you had to give a child up at a certain period of time and you had a, a finite period of time in which to do something, what would you say? What would you teach? What would you demonstrate? What would you model? What would you say? What would you instruct? How would you act? But wait a minute, you do have a finite period of time in which to really invest in a child. Wait a minute, you do already. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your grandchild? What are you doing with your son? What are you doing with your daughter? That is a finite period of time in which you know you're gonna have to let them go. You teach him all you possibly can. Because you're about to send that child Moses into a world that believes and mandates infanticide. How is that world any different than ours? Some people are afraid to have children because of the state of the world in which we live. If that was the case, we never would have children because the world has always been messed up. The question is not how messed up is the world, the question is have we done our part to invest in them the best we can, at the, with the wherewithal we have, to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and to let them go out, yes, yes, out into that world. Let them go. Are they prepared? Are you gonna let them go? Now, she has a very finite period of time in which to invest in this little boy as she's nursing him. Now, it sounds like, what could she do? I don't know. Something got inside that little boy that paid dividends later in his life. Yes, okay. He wasn't perfect. Yes, he killed an Ethiopian. But there was something in that man. And when he was old, he did not depart from it. Some investment that paid off dividends that went deeper than anything the world could bring his way. There was some kind of hope. There was a prayer ministry over that little boy. She made a choice to do what she could with that little boy, not knowing it might just be for the benefit of the whole entire world. Destiny. And you no more know what the future holds with the, those we invest in or in one another. Let's not talk about babies anymore. Let's talk about a church that sows the word of God, sows truth, puts it in good soil, asks God to bring the rain and the light and the sunlight so it, it ends up in a harvest of righteousness. We don't know. We know we have a finite amount of time. For the day is coming when no man can work. This is no game. We're standing up. This is no game. This is no association. This is no hobby. This is no thing I do. I go to church. That's not what this is. This is investing one in another any and every way we can to build one another up in the most holy faith because time is finite. And we must choose 
to do what we need to do because there is a destiny even on this church, on your family, on your children, on your grandchildren, and on your great-grandchildren. Who are we to decide what that destiny is? We have to give these children, give this church, give these new believers, we have to give these young people on this mountain something that will stick, something that will resonate within them so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Because they're going off into a world that advocates the killing of little boys and girls. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles replied, after being chastised about teaching in the name of Jesus, we must obey God rather than human beings. The midwives obeyed God more than the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's own daughter was more obedient to God than her own father. And because of that, Moses was delivered. And because of that, Moses became the deliverer. There is a time, and it's now, basically, when it'll become increasingly obvious in our culture and in this world that we'll have to make choices to either have a fear of man or a fear of God, to obey man, to obey God. That's inevitable. That's not up for conversation or negotiation. That's reality. That's prophetically made reality. The question is, that's not the question. The question is, how does the Christian in the 21st century obey God when, when it's told not to obey man? How, how does that happen? That's the question. See, we have yet to figure that out. Publicly speaking, we have people of faith that are called out to influence various institutions of our world, doctors, architects, uh, business leaders, politicians, teachers, evangelists, ministers. It's one thing to obey God and not man. It's another thing not to alienate every man in the process. We have to figure out how do we stand up for our faith against a culture that reels against it without counting uh, our, any credibility we might have in our faith with the very culture we're sought to reach. And we have some people who are very, very poor at that. And it makes our jobs very, very difficult, more, more than it really should be. So let's not talk about what I have to say about that. What does Jesus have to say about that? This I'm interested in. He says, yes, go, she answered. So the little girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. The woman, <laughs> the woman is speaking to the woman who's going to pay her to nurse her own son. She has to have 
Uh, this, is, this is a word, I'm going to use this word, and, 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 and I pray to God it makes its way into our lives, into the lives of Christians around the world who actually have an audience and an influence. It's a word that's not used often enough. It is a word that is required. It is, it is of a, the highest priority. It is of a highest sensitivity. If we lose this word in our actions, we lose our credibility. And it doesn't take a Christian long in this culture to lose their credibility. It's usually by being brash, immature, loud, condemning, judging. And the word is poised. Moses' mother had to have some sense of self-control as she's talking to the woman who defined the very destiny of her infant she just put in the pit to look at her and not give away the very notion that the child was hers. She had to not only trust God in that moment, she had to let God take over the moment. This is our problem. We defend our faith. We don't allow God to do it through us. When we defend our faith, we come off looking kind of dumb when God defends the faith, the results are pretty good. Poise. She's exhibiting right then and there the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 10, 16 to 20, behold, that means hold something up and turn it up to the light so you can see every facet of every reflection of what I'm telling you. I want you to think, when I say behold, Jesus says behold, he says I want you to look at it from every angle, I want you to really think about it, I want you to spend time thinking about it, because what I'm about to say is pretty stinking important. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Check. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That right there, my friend, is so counterintuitive. We just want to be loud and zealous and brash with our faith and lose our credibility within seconds because we're going to do exactly what is expected. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but, but, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up as to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who will speak, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Amen. Fact. That was the moment of the morning when I should have got a resounding amen. When, when, when the vessel, the Christian, the vessel, the tabernacle of God has enough surrender and poise within them and upon them to yield to and wait upon, just like Paul says, Pray for me that I, words will be given me, Ephesians 6. Words may be given me that I may make fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Oh, there it is. Nobody wants to hear me. And if you hear me more than you hear anybody else, get out of this church as fast as you possibly can. 
You go to church where you can hear a person, forget it. You're wasting your time. You ask yourself this question, did I hear from God? That's what nobody is asking these days when they go to a church. Do I hear from God? Do I hear from God? Because if I hear from God, God can speak through me. Oh, it's such a simple elementary thing. But we miss it. Let me say it to you another way that Peter picked up on. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. When the Christian in the marketplace, in the legislature, in the media, gets bombastic, crass and open and loud like I am on Sunday morning. Sorry, it doesn't, do, it doesn't get it done. There's a mantle of poise, of patience. Some have it, some don't. Those who don't need to be quiet making it hard for the rest of us. In the name of Jesus, gentleness and respect. Yes, that woman was amazing in that moment because God was amazing in her. Her entire destiny in that child and the hopes of her seeing that child again, alive, and maybe even for another moment, or the very idea that she could nurse him for months to come, never crossed her mind, but she just remained poised, and God flat out worked it out. You see, you and I have a defender. We don't have to be defensive. We have a defender, and the results of his defense, in fact, we have an advocate. In fact, we have a defense attorney. We have a whole legal counsel, lead barrister, the Holy Spirit. We have people that speak on our behalf, speak for us, speak through us, tell us what to say, tell us when to be quiet. We have that all, that whole counsel of the Word of God. We have all of that. Let's not put it off to the side and get off in the flesh and tell everybody how great it is to be a Christian and how bad it is to be you. This was an amazing moment, this encounter. If you really, hey, if you really sit in it, sit between those two sentences, what was going on in that woman's mind and heart. I hope she had, I hope she had something that covered her knees from knocking. She had to be trembling. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Wow. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. Ooh. That's a tough calling right there. That's a tough calling. I'll give you my son, Lord. And he says, I'll give him back. I'll take care of you in the meantime, but I may need him again. Why do I need him? 
Well, at present, there are millions of people who will never reach their promised land. Not for him. Oh, in fact, nor will he. So this family is learning that their destiny in part is to make an incredible influence. To enter the desert, but never eat dessert. Moms have an incredible job. Finite amount of time. To impart to their children that which needs to be imparted. Let's take motherhood out of it for a second. We all have a job. A finite period of time. To impart to others what needs to be imparted. To walk with poise and gentleness and respect. Wise like a serpent and gentle like a dove. For we both live in a world that openly endorses the demise of our own infants. What more do we need? What more example do we need than this? How could we need more than this story? Why, why is this story, why is this woman, we didn't know her name. Why? She's you're, not, you're sitting here today because of this woman. Because this woman yielded. So let's, let's summarize. Trust in the Lord. There is a way where there seems to be no way. I don't know what your situation is, and I don't know how, how it's perceived to be impossible. Listen, there is no impossible. I don't know your situation. Financial, emotional, relational, marital, family. I don't know. It, you may look like you're walled in on every side. There's no way out. You may think that the only way you perceive the way out is to do this one thing and it'll never come back to you, but it will. Trust in the Lord. There's a way where there seems to be no way. God has a special purpose for all of us. He's prepared good works for you in advance. He has things waiting for you to accomplish. Second, third thing, obey God rather than men. That's the easy part. Knowing how to do it in the most effective manner. Now this becomes more problematic. Give your children to the Lord. Mothers are, you can't calculate the, the value that they have to us. Obviously, they give us life, but they impart to us life. My mother gave and gave and gave and gave. Entered the last chapters of her life. And now my father is in need of her giving and giving and giving and giving. It's a destiny. It's part of the calling. The greatest gift we can give our children is a healthy marriage. The greatest gift we can give our children is the Father's love. The greatest gift we can give our children, one of them, is to let them go. To trust God. To hand them off to him.
Do with him what thou willest. I don't know how many prayers have been prayed over you by your mother, your grandmother. I know they're bearing fruit. I know they weren't in vain. Words were spoken of you. Prophecies spoke over you. Your, your spouses were prayed for before you ever met them. The spouses of your children should be prayed for before they ever meet them. Your grandchildren as well. We operate best under authority, and there is a matriarchal authority. Mothers know what fathers don't know. Mothers know how to birth something and give it life. What a valuable, valuable understanding when you mingle that with intercession, the possibilities that exist. Look at Hannah. She literally gave her son to the Lord right out of the gate, before he was ever born. If we can do that, then nothing stands between us and a love for God. Nothing. And therein is a context in which the Lord will truly operate. As our musicians come forward, let's get ready to close our service. I'm going to pray for our, our moms, moms-to-be. I'm going to pray for difficult, maybe needing-to-be-reconciled relationships with moms as we keep it real here this morning. But I do want to pray over you as we close our service. And take a moment to, to think about our own mothers, how, how, how we, where appropriate, have been mothers. And then, you know, I also want to say this. There are, there are those here today who probably need a spiritual mother. I totally understand that. There are, there are women here today who need to be a spiritual mother. I really understand that. To share things that need to be shared, to understand things that need to be understood. To speak, to listen, to pray, to cry, to hug, to embrace, and yes, to let go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our mothers. I'm sure we haven't responded <laughs> the way we have liked at all times. But we thank you that they're resilient and loving, caring and kind and compassionate. We thank you, Lord, when our mothers have been stern, firm. I thank you for their prayers. We spoke of creatures worshiping God that are restless. I think mothers are. More than anyone go without rest. If we've taken them for granted, forgive us. We need to reach out to them today, lead us. If there's any relational issue that needs to be resolved, even starting today, then release us. May we be wise like a serpent and gentle like a dove. May we show gentleness and respect. Make a way for us where there seems to be no way. That we may trust you, obey you, 
give to you our whole entire life, spirit, mind, and body, all of our heart. But you may just keep giving back and giving back. We celebrate our moms today. Celebrate you today. We live in a lost and dying world. Nothing's new there. But give us by your spirit a new way, a new approach, a new and living way of bearing results. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's think on these things.